It's July 7th, 2021, and we're talking about FlyQuest's recent roster moves, including the sale of licorice to Golden Guardians, with FlyQuest General Manager Nick Fan. This is the True Sight Podcast. Welcome to the True Sight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen. This is episode 38 already, and I'm joined today by the general manager of FlyQuest League of Legends, Nick Fan, aka Swagasaurus, one of the great names in all of League of Legends esports. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Nick. Yeah, one of the, one of those days I'm gonna have to change that name, but for now I'm gonna stick to my guns. <laughs> it's it's unique, you know, it's memorable. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Thanks yeah, I'm having me what second time? Second time now? Yeah, you were on an episode five. I looked it up because I'm like, I know it was a, it was a while ago. So it's it's I think it was even 2020 at that point. But uh, yeah, I think glad so. to have you back on. Uh, slightly different Appreciate circumstances it. this time. When you were on last time, it was you know going into a season with a bit of a roster rebuild and a bunch of stuff going on. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of excitement for the future, and you know now we're a large part of the way through that first year of the rebuild. And, and I'm sure you're having a pretty intense re- week right now with all the news that just came out and that you guys announced. Um, so I appreciate you being here and making the time to talk about it a little bit and, and convey some of your thoughts to the fans. And, um, and, and you know, I'm sure th- those fans are really eager to hear from you in a bit more depth. So, uh, so let's just, let's start off by talking through what the recent changes actually were. I don't know if, if you want me to run through them or if you want to kind of explain what the changes were yourself. Uh, I'm happy for you to brief them. And, uh, all right. Whatever you got so, the three big pieces were uh, Licorice, who had been the top laner, and he was one of the, <clears throat> in, in some ways, kind of the capstone acquisition, I'd say, going into this offseason in terms of like veterancy and, and, and uh, expected player quality. Um, yeah. He has been sold to Golden Guardians. Uh, the contract was was sold there. Um, mm-hmm. And on, on there, on Golden Guardians have re-upped Licorice to uh, a new contract going through to the end of 2023. Uh, and then on the FlyQuest end, Kumo promoted to LCS starter um, from the Academy team to fill in that that top lane spot. Um, and you guys, I think it was just this morning, uh, announced the Academy replacement, who I think might take a little time to actually be ready to play. Um, so yeah. we can talk a little yeah. bit about that uh, later as well. And then you also, as, as kind of a third piece, uh, announced that the Academy lineup, the full Academy lineup, is going to be starting in LCS for week six, so this coming week. Um, with no announcements anywhere beyond that. I don't know if you guys have decided what's going to happen beyond that. I'm sure you'll be reacting to that, so we can talk about that as well. So those are the big pieces. Um, so any initial thoughts? Like, this is a lot of stuff to go through, and we'll, we'll break into it in different pieces. But you, know, you guys released a bit of a statement. What was the main thrust of, of what you guys wanted to kind of convey to the fans in, in the light of these moves? I think, I think uh, you know, generally when you're in the position that we're in, which, you know, obviously we've we've now we're now on the back end of a 10 game losing streak. Um, hopefully that doesn't continue into this weekend. And, and if it does, you know, it, you know, it is what it is. It's competition. I think there's been so many games throughout the year that had something gone a little differently in a small team fight in a skirmish around an objective. Um, our record would look a little different than it does right now. I think some of the stresses from wins and losses and particularly losses obviously uh as they pile on some of the mistakes that that get made some of the issues that get made they they tend to resound louder um unfortunately we are in the situation that we're in and and that's just sports you 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 win and sometimes you lose 
um, and you're never really deserving of of you know either result until you you know either you know steal the win or unfortunately you know miss out and and, and take the L. But essentially, what we wanted to convey was, you know, we we spent week after week trying to dissect and trying to maneuver and adjust and find ways to not necessarily band-aid or fix problems that we're having but to isolate and try to teach and try to grow as much as we can and in doing so i think we you know have obviously floundered in some ways and right now with where we're at i think as a team decision between players staff and and you know obviously including management we decided it'd be a good idea for you know the lcs guys to take a step back uh it was something that we we met about and talked about and you know, generally was agreed upon uh, for everyone to take a step back and try to, you know, figure out the things that are going on in, in maybe a less, you know, pressured or stressed environment. And you, luckily for us, the Academy guys are doing incredibly well in Academy. I know that the conveyance of competition is, is not necessarily the same. The, the, the magnitude or quality, you know, you can you can make arguments and stipulations about it, but They've been playing well. The thing, the thing that a lot of people will notice when we first put Kumo, Tomo, and Diamond in week four against Golden Guardians that Sunday, uh, they looked aggressive. They looked like they had a little more cohesion. And if you've watched any of our Academy games, you'll notice that one of the biggest things that probably set us apart from most Academy teams is how willing our five players in Academy are to jump in to the fray and just fight together and, and make plays together even if it's not always the right thing and that synergy is just something that has been elusive for the lcs guys and you know part of that responsibility is on the players part of that responsibility is on the coaches and you know i'm i'm a generally you know actively involved gm and so i i would say you know some of that even you know is is partly my responsibility so that that's essentially the message that we wanted to convey it's not always easy to convey those things in in text, just just as we were talking about a little earlier. Uh, and so, you know, me being on here, hopefully, I can shed at least a little bit of you know clarity on that. But that's that's what we're looking forward to do, at least for week six. And you know, maybe this continues into you know different weeks. But but at least right now, the way that I want to approach this, and the way that I think we all are ready to approach this, is just one day at a time, one week at a time. And, you know, just, just take the pieces and take what's in front of you and just go to work. So you say, you know, moving the uh, LCS starters, letting them play in Academy, uh, letting the Academy players start in LCS. You, you guys have experimented a little bit, like you said, with the, the one game of a few of the Academy players coming up. Mm-hmm. What was it that, that led to the decision to sell Licorice to Golden Guardians rather than make him part of this kind of, hey, swap him down to, to Academy as well? Because you know, I think I think a lot of people have questions about this, um, especially in in the light of Liquor's tweeting two and a half weeks ago or so, um, some pretty optimistic things. Uh, he wrote a tweet saying, "Even though we lost, we really felt like a team today. I'm feeling hopeful to, for tomorrow." So, what was it in the last couple of weeks, you know, since then, since that sense of positive vibes starting to come out, that led to like, hey, you know, we're making these other changes, but we think it's time for Liquor's to move on somewhere else. Um, and not be part of kind of the, the future solutions here. Yeah. I think when you, you know, and, and I think like Brandon's tweet, Jose Diodo, his tweet, uh, obviously uh, we were very hopeful, you know, week four, we're very hopeful every week to be honest mm-hmm. that, you know, we'll find our stride and something will click on stage and, 
you know, that's, that's, you know, aside from the work that we put in every week and, and the goals that we try to attain, um, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of motivation to move licorice initially. I think when golden guardians approached me, you know, right before the match weekend, I think I talked to, to Dane in, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, he approached me, you know, was very interested in licorice as they were. I mean, they were one of our competitors at the end of last, uh, off season in terms of trying to acquire licorice and, you know, COVID and, you know, the NBA money and all that stuff is, you know, impacted both of our teams. And, uh, you know, we ended up walking away with, with Eric and they were still very hungry to acquire him and, and, and have him on their roster. It seems like they have a plan for 2022 and, you know, hopefully beyond. And, you know, when they first approached me, for me, I didn't have a lot of motivation to move. You know, I think the timing wasn't great. I think we had plans to, you know, have different iterations show up on stage or different iterations show up on practice. And we were, you know, navigating those waters, but I, you know, hats off to Dana. I guess he was just very bullish on it. And, you know, when he first approached me with a, a money offer, you know, I kind of dismissed it and said, you know, if you guys can hit this number, I guess we can talk about it and half expected them to walk away, to be honest. And ultimately they, they came back and said, we're willing to, to match it. And, you know, for me, you know, financially, obviously you're incentivized to make certain moves, especially when you're, when you're losing. And, and I think I also looked at Eric and said, would this player right now benefit from a change of scenery if the plans and the opportunity were, were right for him? And I made that decision, you know, with Eric and he was on board. And, you know, I think, I think in some ways, I think he was in a different world, right? Where, where this trade doesn't go through. I think he was, you know, maybe I'm speaking too quickly for him, but it seemed like he was, he was cool trying to navigate the waters with the, with the other four LCS guys and trying to just figure stuff out. Uh, but ultimately it, it, it felt like it made a lot of sense uh, to give him just a new opportunity. Um, so what happened, you know, you know, being not necessarily motivated, I think they were just bullish enough to where I had to take a step back and, and not be so selfish and just try to make it work. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's such an interesting, interesting thing about sports as a business or esports as a business is that there are decisions that you make that are not motivated entirely by what is going to help us win the most games right now. Right? Like you, you have other factors at play the the financial ones specifically that you're talking about right now but there are other ones as well um you, you can look at contract lengths you can look at what do we think is going to happen you know yeah. in the relation what uh, what other talent do we have coming up behind these players uh things like that right um and, and we can talk a little bit about that going forward as well especially as we get into some of the other the, the other moves here but to to stay on the licorice topic a, a little longer here you know, I, I think people would look at the way he's played and say it's been disappointing from an individual perspective compared to what you would have expected coming in and, and the, the kind of the legacy that he's built up with Cloud9 and all of that. How much of his poor performance this year do you think stemmed from his own struggles in-game or out-of-game or contextually versus, you know, a difficulty fitting into what the team wanted to do and maybe struggling to, you know, for to use a buzzword to find synergy with his teammates? Where do you think those, those kind of struggles tended to come from from your perspective? I think I think initially a lot of it came from external factors. Obviously, being, I mean, in September, Cloud9 stated, you know, we're not changing any of our members. You know, obviously, yeah. we didn't make worlds. We're not going to change any of our members. And fast forward a month or two later, you know, Niski was the first one rumored to be out. That ends up happening. 
and then Eric and, and, and the fudge situation. So from a perspective of, of just that, I mean, you're, you're not expecting very much as, as a player, if I'm in licorice issues and I, I see my organization say, yeah, we, we, we likely won't change anything. I'm pretty happy. It, it means that the organization trusts the five players obviously didn't make worlds, but you know, they trust in the product that can be built uh, just as they were successful in spring. You know, things maybe didn't click in summer and, and that's okay, but they can maybe try again. And, you know, in some ways, I think Eric felt slighted, you know, from from, mm. from taking that walk. It, it is business, it is sports. And so I know from my talks with him, he understood the big picture and, and, and ultimately the situation that he was in, but it doesn't make it easier to stomach, right? So I think that honestly plagued him for quite a while while also trying to say, okay, I'm in this new environment. How do I make it work for myself? How do I make it work for my teammates? He, he's he's very well read, by the way. He reads a lot of books. I've, you know, walked around with him, and we stopped by, you know, the Amazon Hub bookstore out in the marina. And um, I, I I would say he's just very educated. This is probably, you know, last year and this year. He, you know, something he said to me was, "This is the most like complete person I've felt in my entire life." But obviously on the rift things aren't clicking as much and and i feel for that i i, I think he's a very well per read person i think he understands a lot about what leadership is supposed to look like on a team granted that he's never necessarily played a role like that on cloud nine and I, i'm sure the adjustment period was just really tough for him um as, as we move from spring to summer i think he definitely picked up more on on what it looks like to you know, try to boost your teammates around you. But ultimately, I think it, it's just such a hard transition when you've never had the experience of like, all right, I got to, you know, step up, you know, pull my bootstraps up and just make sure everyone around me is good. And I I think that combined with uh, the feelings he was feeling from being dropped from Cloud9 uh, were just the biggest external factors for him. And then when you start losing and you know, Reddit, I know he started reading Reddit a lot in spring and then, oh, no. <laughs> you know, close, close those gates, you know, between yep. spring and summer. Uh, I don't know how people cannot lose some of their 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 confidence, some of their footing. And, and, and I sure. think that was bigger than anything. I, I wouldn't say necessarily that he was like such a poor performer. I think obviously the stats tell a story. The KDA tells a story. I think if you use the eye test, he didn't play certain matchups perfectly, but I think Eric is still a really strong laner. I think he's one of the best weak side players you're going to find in top lane. And I think as with every player, when you take them out of the environment they're used to working in and they have to adapt to a new role, there's going to be cracks, right? And you just have to figure out how to use them properly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> I, I put out some of my own personal thoughts in a video the other day. Um, when when the news came out, right, um, mm -hmm. reacting to some of it, and and obviously on the Golden Guardian side of all this, there's a lot of conversation around like, hey, they just brought in Solo for summer, and now they're signing Licorice, and and I was actually shocked, to be honest, that almost everybody out there is saying Solo was playing way better than Licorice, and I seem to be like one of the only people out there saying, actually, I think Licorice was playing better than Solo, and you know, fair enough that you can go on either side of that. I figured I thought it would be kind of fifty fifty of community sentiment. Um, but it just seems like Licorice has had such a negative, like, uh, comprehensively negative perspective on, on how he's been playing, um, that I, from my perspective, I feel has been a little bit undeserved because it really has seemed like the entire team is struggling and that, you know, 
80% of the blame falls on his shoulders for some reason when it really is the entire team struggling to perform. So, you know, it, I think that was kind of interesting for me. And, and I, and I hope obviously for Licorice's sake that, that he's able to kind of, uh, uh, flourish in, in the new context and all of that. And, uh, and we'll speak a little bit to about, um, in a minute about kind of Kumo coming in to replace him. But I, I think I also want to hit on just one more point here. Cause you're talking about kind of the, the leadership role that Licorice was coming into and, and trying to find the way to kind of keep his teammates feeling good and motivated and all that kind of stuff and communicating and managing the relationships. And, and I think I, you often see conversations around leadership in League of Legends being conflated with shot calling and treating them as if they're the same thing, which they're not. Leadership yep. can be so much more behind the scenes, like, like facilitating communication, keeping people's morale up, all this kind of stuff, whereas shot calling is the in-game, you know, obviously <laughs> making strategic mm-hmm. choices or, or leading like, hey, we're going to do this next or be thinking about this thing coming up. And sometimes they go together, but sometimes they're yeah. completely separate. Um, how would you speak to, you know, I, I think you could say in Licorice's case that maybe he was doing a bit of both, right? But how would you speak mm-hmm. to kind of his role in, in the communication side of this in-game um, and, and whether that affected kind of how, how his play was coming out? Uh, I would say, you know, obviously I'm not a coach, so I'm not going to try to like spew a bunch of League of Legends words and, <laughs> you know, try to try to, you know, paint the narrative in, in a way where I think only a coach really can or a player really can. But I think the out of game leadership and the in game leadership aspect, basically what you want on any team is one or two guys that really have an understanding of how they want to play the game. It might not be always, you know, synchronized with the meta i think if you look at like power of evil for example it's very clear what kind of player he is it's very clear what kind of game style and you know how, how the game's going to play out he's going to farm he's going to get you to 35 minutes and then he's going to 1v9 almost every team fight because he just knows his positioning well he knows his angles he knows how to communicate those angles and it's a skill set that i think a lot of players don't have if you if you look back maybe like five six years ago a lot of teams wanted to scout the raw potential superstar players that had so much instinct that they could visualize. They had that intangible skill of being able to like just read a situation just like, oh yeah, I think this is it. But what you lose in a lot of those players is the ability to articulate or the ability to get people on the same page. Um, that's a skill set that I think is becoming more and more valuable in today's League of Legends because of how team-oriented the game naturally has been driven. And so when you don't necessarily have players, you know, number one, I think on our team, we didn't necessarily have a single player that really wanted the game to be played in a certain way. You know, your comms become more suggestions than they are demands and, mm-hmm. and demands don't necessarily need to be unhealthy, but you know, there, there is gray area. You, you don't necessarily need a toxic or teammate or two. I think it definitely helps actually to have players that are a little more on, on the edge and, are willing to kind of step on people's toes, but you do just need someone that will give direction in the game. And as much as you would want that direction from coaches outside of the game and in practice and all those things, as soon as, you know, your players step into the court or step on the rift, the coaches are no longer there. It's, it's the five players and you need someone who can kind of pull the trigger. So uh, I I think licorice building that skill set was a work in progress. It's something that I know as an individual, he really wants to, you know, flourish in and, and grow in. It's not a skill set that he was necessarily uh, enabled to be or do on Cloud9. And so, you know, if, if he doesn't have it and, and the four young guys that I have, you know, on my LCS roster don't have it as well, it's it's hard to sometimes navigate and problem solve the game. 
in split second scenarios. And Mm -hmm. I think some of that lack of direction and, and, you know, obviously showed in the lack of synergies sometimes. And it showed in the way that we progressed the game, we would find decent early games. You know, we would find our side lane dives. We'd find, you know, good early skirmishes that would put us ahead. And then we, we just didn't know how to close things out because we always would try to do two or three things at the same time. And, you know, something would go wrong. So, um that's a roundabout way of talking about it but hopefully that answers kind of what you're looking for yeah and no, i think I, I see where you're going with it and, and then we move forward then to the replacement yeah. player right so so kumo coming in um getting promoted uh you know i think i think there were quite a few people who could have seen you know whether or not licorice moved on they could have seen some more opportunity for kumo coming in lcs given how well he's been playing like specifically in the last three weeks i would say uh mm-hmm. really really showing up big uh, in academy um, what is it that uh, that you guys have been seeing in Kumo lately that that uh, maybe influenced this decision? Was was there something about how well Kumo was playing that made it easier to allow Licorice to move on, or was that just is that just kind of a luxury that happened to be there and and it wasn't really a direct factor? Yeah, I, I think number one in a lot of ways with the when 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 the flexes were obviously a big part of the current meta. I think it still is, right? You play. You know, leasing three ways, or I guess four ways, if you're hundred thieves and some <laughs> other teams, right? And you and you and you really like to be creative in that way. You can do that. Um, sets coming back. I mean, you have a collie. You have all these different champions that can play big. That can be played in multiple roles. I think Kumo. I would say probably uh, contest Brandon. You know, a little bit on who maybe the best leasing on our team is. Hmm. Um, I think his leasing was incredible. Um, but but more than that. It's it's crazy how much the narrative for him last year was this guy was supposed to have so much potential. It seems like he doesn't really know what he's doing on the rift. It, it almost felt like people overlooked some of the talent that got him there in the first place. Maybe because he was learning the pro game and uh, at a, at a you know bigger scale. It, it's an adjustment from academy to LCS that I think you know especially in top lane it's a very macro focused role you have to really mm-hmm. understand what's going on in the map even if you're on an island which you generally are most of the time you have to understand like where your tps are going how you can make sure that your bot lane doesn't over aggress and get you know become victims to you know a number of different things and uh i think the first thing that caught our eye was as we went through spring academy just always tended to do better when kumo was either even or ahead and had the agency to make sure that people knew what was happening for him on the map and and what was happening for the other top laner on the map. And that ability to articulate those things and that ability to forecast things that were going to happen and and, and help people understand conditions was something that I think really enabled the academy guys to contribute to game planning involving each other. And it's a skill set that I think will serve him well. Now, I think everyone will ask, you know, we've seen him on EG already. You know, we've seen him in Academy. It's likely we'll see him, obviously, throughout the remainder of our summer split. How much more of a leap can a player like Kumo undergo? And I think, as a staff, we're pretty confident that there's, you know, a, a level up that 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 he can get to or transcend to. Um, we need to put in the work to get there, obviously, but at least his ability to articulate, his ability to shot call from his position certainly helps his case. So... Um, we're, we're excited about it, honestly. I, I think because we knew that this is probably the best shot he's going to get to be ready for LCS, 
uh, it made it a little easier to stomach, you know, letting licorice walk. Sure. How do you characterize kind of the, the arc? I think you referred to this a little bit, the arc of Kumo's career as someone who has kind of come up, had that, that time in LCS, you know, he had a few games of C9, if I'm remembering right. And then he went to EG and then, you know, uh, was brought back down to Academy there and then moves on to you guys in Academy. Like, do you see this as his performance mirroring kind of his moves up and down with LCS and Academy? Or, um, do you think that, that it, with EG, when he went down to Academy, was that kind of like unearned? Um, did you feel that he was getting a little under, undersold there or? I think it was deserved. I, I think he understands. Like, I, I wouldn't say, like, I don't know the process. I don't know how it was handled. I don't know how he was benched. Yeah, sure. I think every team handles it differently. And there's there's general optics and communication, transparency, all those things that should be afforded to players. And, and every team handles that differently. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong. And it just, you know, from uh, not benched to benched is, is always different wherever you yeah. go. I would say him moving down to Academy for Hooney, is a move that made sense. Um, now, in terms of their other moves that summer, I don't want to get into. But yeah. from from my talks with with Colin, it it, it sounded like Colin being Kumo, um, not not solo. Yeah, um, you know but, him, so you're allowed to use his yeah, name. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kumo, I think, from my conversations with him, it was kind of a wake up call. I think when he went down to academy he was able to kind of look at Huni as like, okay, what does this guy have that I don't have? Why am I getting benched? I don't necessarily understand it. And he started to, I think, unravel, you know, what it looked like to contribute to the game or be more of an impact in the game. And I think he's really taken that to, you know, his own, you know, application now this year. And it's, it's obviously paid off in Academy and I'm, I'm hoping it does in LCS as well. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see. I think, uh, like you said, it is probably the best circumstances that he could ask for to, yeah. to get a chance in LCS. I think the meta seems really good for him and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah. and, and then you, uh, like I mentioned before, you, you signed another player for Academy. Now you brought in Philip. Um, mm -hmm. According to the Global Contracts database, I don't know if you guys have announced it yet, but sometimes, you know, <laughs> the database leaks these I, I things. Talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us, tell us about him. Who, who is Philip and, and uh, you know, what do you guys see there? Yeah, just briefly. I mean, he he's he's from Vancouver, so another Canada kid. I mean, if you look at some of my rosters, I've I've tend to be, you know, not. I guess it's just coincidental. I don't I don't just go to <laughs> you know, Leaguepedia and just find Canadian players, you know. But he happens to be from Vancouver. He you know seems to be a very talented top laner. I think just looking at his solo queue pool and you know just some of the things that he showed in some of the the amateur matches and things that he played this previous year. Uh, was something that excited specifically our, our academy coach. And and so when we moved on from Eric, obviously we moved with Kumo, and it made sense for us to say, is there a talent that we're interested in trying out? And, you know, he, he seemed to fit the bill the most right now. Obviously, you know, there's the narrative of, like, why do people use academy to recycle talent? And, and ultimately, I think when amateur was first introduced as like a way for organizations to have that extra layer of development. I think then you can kind of figure out, okay, does my Academy team still fit the same purpose as it should when it was just LCS and Academy hmm. um, teams just use it differently, right? Sometimes you just need certain players and certain roles that are going to be backups to their counterparts. Sometimes there's talent that you do want to develop an Academy when you have an Academy program and you want to pursue both of those goals. Sometimes it is absolutely hard to hit the 
some players want to win and get to LCS and some players just want to develop and and those goals do clash you know it's not to say that that is always married so perfectly they they do clash a lot um it's going to be interesting to see how we integrate Philip but I think he's he's pretty green but pretty excited to grow and and continue and see what he's got yeah for sure um is he a player with a certain kind of strategic profile to him a certain champion pool that we should be looking out for he seems pretty flexible if if i'm going to be honest i think he he seems to like playing at least right now the you know the atrox the rumble the wukong the set you know um happy to play a bunch of other things that you know if you just look at his solo queue profile he plays pretty much everything and so you know what what i personally like to find in players is like what what is like your identity and 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 we go from there i don't necessarily want to come in and go yeah you're going to be the player that plays everything and we're just going to you know be wishy-washy on that side let's find you know your ultimate comfort or your ultimate strength let's get let's get that you know solved as quick as possible and then on the other things that you can improve on you can pick up on let's find ways to include that and Sure. Normally, that's the approach. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, is Philip going to be able to to come into LA as a as a Canadian, or is that going to be a remote play for the rest of the year? So, you know, I can't predict the nature of you know how easy it is going to be or not easy it's going to be to get him you know finished up with the visa. It'd be mm-hmm. our goal to help him get to LA ASAP. But you know, we're starting the paperwork, and if, if we can get him in here, great. If not, you know, next year. Yeah. So you've got you've got four weeks of regular season left and then there's uh you know, the proving grounds qualifier and proving grounds itself after that, right? So there's there's a probably two and a half months or so mm-hmm. left in the competitive year, depending how deep you go in proving grounds. So yeah, that hopefully it's enough time for him to at least get, get a taste of some time in LA. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Absolutely. Good luck I mean, with the, if, the bureaucracy. if he's able to then then we'll we'll pull yeah. him in. But if not, you know, we'll integrate him our own way. Cool. Uh so let, let's move on to kind of the, the last big piece here. So the Academy lineup coming up to LCS this week. Uh, you, I think you mentioned already some of your thoughts there about, you know, hey, they, they've been playing cohesively. They've been um, kind of succeeding at the Academy level. Let's give them a shot and let the LCS team step back and compete in a lower stress environment, all of those kinds of things. What are your, your goals for the Academy team playing this week? Are you Is this really about, to a certain extent, they give us a better shot to win more games. Is it about the experience they're going to gain? What are what are the real motivators here? What if it's like both of those, and <laughs> we think they can put up results? You know, I actually think it's it's kind of all of those things. I think, you know, I would say here's the thing: as a general manager, I've never believed in accelerating the growth or experience of a player if they're not ready. Um, you can make that argument for or against NXI that, you know, before he stepped into our team, he had two weeks of amateur. But in the time that he's grown from spring, and, and I'm sure people remember his performances from the lock-in tournament, and they weren't the best performances by any means, but he's grown a lot, not only in skill set, mechanics, understanding of the game, but also comms. He's grown a lot from spring to summer. And, you know, of course, if let's say he goes against what he has blabber, Broxen, Xerxes this weekend, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's 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 a buffet of really good junglers that he's going to have, you know, an opportunity to face. And maybe he gets really, really humbled this weekend. But as a competitor, that's going to happen, whether you're domestic or whether you're on the world stage, you're going to get humbled by several people, you know, wherever you end up walking. And I'm I'm hoping that as much as it would be important for me to protect 
you know, the trajectory of certain players' careers, I think now more than any other time, he's built such a good synergy with the other, you know, three or four players on Academy that it just made sense when we thought, okay, we're, we want to try, you know, Kumo, we want to try Tomo and Diamond. It made sense that we threw him in along with Triple because, you know, they have also been performing. I know people, you know, are upset that why is Jose Diodo or why is Palafox on the bench? I mean, not only was it a team decision to take a step back, but I, I think I think from a synergy perspective, if there's things that are not working for the LCS, we owe the Academy guys an opportunity to try. And we do think that, especially in this current meta, you don't always have to be the best finger player. You can find the right synergies, find the right ways to play the team game together, and, and you can generally pull wins from stronger teams just by doing that. And so... Yeah. That's something we're confident in. Obviously, it's not going to look the prettiest in, in every situation or every case, but, I mean, Diamond from Spring has stepped up. Tomo has grown a lot, and people forget that he only played one uh, Academy split last year in, in summer, and this is his first real competitive year. Um, we have a lot of fresh blood that is just really hungry to make their mark. And so I'm sure there's going to be nerves on stage, but we're excited to give them the exposure. We're excited to give them the opportunity. And we do actually think that they can win and pull and pull some results for us this weekend. We're still in the playoff race, you know, in our in our position. I'm I'm looking ahead, to, you know, to playoffs. I'm looking ahead to 2022. I want to know who my core is going to be, and and this is an exciting opportunity to to see what we have. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the the newer players you have here, and I think you've shared some you know some good thoughts on them already. But um, you know, speaking to Tomo, Tomo. Um, you know, do, do you see him as a player who is, you know, LCS caliber or just about LCS caliber right now? Or are you seeing his, him more as like, we think he can grow there and this is a good chance for him to break into that for next year? I've, I think he's LCS ready right now. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you, what, what kind of areas do you think you've seen him grow compared to his cloud nine split? Cause obviously it's so hard to judge a player like him. I think, especially if, if you aren't watching super closely when he comes into a player like C9 Academy last year, he replaces King. They were the best Academy team and he replaces probably the best Academy player, but the rest of the team's really good. Right. And he played, I would say pretty well last year, but when the team around him at the Academy level is just so good, how do you kind of evaluate his individual level of performance and improvement over the course of this year? Honestly, I think he's developed an identity for himself as a player. I think in C9 last year, I think if you talk to Diamond and you talk to Tomo together, I would say they both probably agree that Diamond led him pretty much 24-7, right? In and out of the game, you know, teaching him the rights and wrongs. I think as Tomo has learned it, he's he's a very hungry person, by the way. He's got a huge chip on his shoulder. A lot of things, you know, for him in his life that he wants to, you know, work and aspire for. And so... Uh, as he's grown into his own player and his own person, as he's studied the game in his own way, um, he's created his own identity, understands the kind of role that he wants to play on a team, what that demands, what kind of resources he needs. Uh, he's able to basically go toe-to-toe -to -toe now with time in terms of being able to like lead each other. Um, I wouldn't say he's always right, but he just has a certain aggressive nature and, and he's just hungry to... It's weird. Both of them just want to turbo the other lane. They just want to get into lane and just like 5-0, 10-0, just generate as much of a lead as possible. That backfires sometimes, obviously. I know that there are mistakes that we made in Proving Grounds where we would get caught out in, in, in bot lane for being too aggressive. And 
I think that is going to refine itself over time. You know, sometimes you just have to make those mistakes to, to learn. And I think he's, I think he's ready because he's created himself into, you know, more of a, of a player with an identity rather than just someone you slot into a team because you need somebody granted 80 carry is probably the easiest role in pro play to throw someone sure. because generally yeah. you can have teammates around you that just tell you where to be. But, uh, one unique thing about him that I think is really impressive that I haven't seen from a lot of players is that he knows how to get his other teammates involved. And when he's not in a play, he still knows how to be part of it. You, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm excited for him. I, I think he's ready. I think he's as ready as he'll ever be to take the LCS stage. I think this is a, just like we talked about Kumo. This is a prime opportunity for him to show himself off. Cool. And, and, and I apologize because I've been giggling internally for the, the entirety of that answer because of one of the greatest Twitch chat comments I've ever seen. And I just want to shout out Flailier for this one because he said, Tomo is pretty good, but I feel like Tomio beats him in the eye test. Because <laughs> he's got the eye, I get it. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I think the show's kind of over now. But nice. we'll do our best. We'll do our best. <laughs> uh, NXI. A player that yeah. I think is uh, really has been coming along really well this year. I think, given like you like you mentioned already, how raw he is, um, how little experience um, he had coming into this year, but you know had a really good scouting grounds tournament. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was the number one pick in the scouting grounds draft, which means whatever it means, or he was the MVP or both or something like that. Anyways, he had a good scouting grounds. You guys picked yeah. him up. And he's, you know, I think he's had his struggles this year, as you might have expected, uh, as as a new player, but has really been coming along and getting better and better. I put him in the academy standards. I think it was week four. Um, that mm-hmm. was, you know, he he hit a bit of a new peak for me. Uh, how are you feeling about kind of the trajectory he's on? Because, um, and and maybe as as something to react against, my my perspective has been he's headed in the right direction. He's not at LCS level yet, but you know if he goes this way the rest of the year, maybe he will be next year, kind of thing. Now he's going to get his chance actually playing in the LCS. Do you see it kind of the same way? Do you think he's farther along than I seem to? I would say, as a player, he's made big strides. I I obviously I think you know credit him a lot to that. I should credit Triple a lot to that. I think every academy player in their own ways has contributed to him leveling up as a player and just like understanding the program. I mean, he was so green when he first walked in. Right. So to be where he is now, I think is an incredible acceleration. Um, so all of his teammates, I give credit to, I think they've helped him in tremendous ways. And I think Richard and Richard being our head coach, Fantix and, and Loyota have been instrumental in that as well. I would say one of the conversations that we had between spring and summer, and this is like a philosophical thing for me. Um, when you're, when you're a rookie, and you come into whether it's League of Legends or you come into any esport or any sport, you you tend to look at like what's your growth mindset? What what kind of things do you care about? What motivates you as a rookie? And I will tell you, my criticism to him as a player when he first came in is that he thought whatever he was doing was good enough. Um, so whatever amount of solo queue games he was playing, whatever his I guess input to his process was he always felt, well, I think I'm doing pretty well for a rookie. Hmm. And I, I I think this might just be because it's how I was as an athlete, but I hate that excuse. If you can do more, if you, if you've done what you've done already and you can do more and you still have time in your day and you still have the ability to sweat and bleed more, why not? 
you know? And so that was a conversation that we had between spring and summer. And I think he's embodied that a lot. I think he is generally one of the guys that have been uh, not so grindy in the spring, but has put up more games. And I'm not saying putting up more reps is always the answer to growth. It's just the mentality. He's, you can tell he's more hungry about the process that he's undertaking. He's more, you know, at least nitpicky to me in terms of what he's actually doing in his spare time. And I appreciate that from a competitor standpoint, because I don't think he's perfect. I think there's still a lot of ways to go for him to find more internal motivation. That's going to push him past, you know, whatever obstacles might come his way, whether that's this year or whether it's next year or or years to come. But I'm impressed by the way that he has taken his own career into his own hands and put a lot more work into it than he did in spring. And so I'm excited for where he's going to go. Would I say, you know, you or I thinks he's further ahead than where maybe he might be? I, I don't know. It, you you can be you can be stuck for five years and then make a gigantic leap, just in the same way that you can make incremental growth over five years. And mm-hmm. um, I, I don't want to put a timetable to it. I, I'm I'm happy with where he's growing right now. I would like to see more, of course, always, but uh, I'm I'm happy with where he is right now. Cool, and then. Diamond is the other one I'd, I'd like to really touch on here because obviously he spent the time in the LCS back down to Academy mm-hmm. and play some more. Um, and to me, it really seems like he's been uh, reclaiming some of his form in the summer split so far. Uh, mm-hmm. Is his play in Academy so far more of what you kind of expected or, or hoped he would be when you acquired him in the first place? I would say he's gotten more comfortable. I, I think like fit is almost everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you When you're a player to be able to exhibit or, or showcase your best skills or your best traits fit is such an important thing. If you are a very vocal player, but everybody else on your team is also very vocal. Sometimes you might find it hard to get your voice in. I don't think he has that problem. I think the the thing that he's adjusted to well is actually toning down where he, you know, injects himself in comms waits for people to also contribute and I think in that way he's grown in his leadership allows people to get involved which I think when he first came in he thought you know the way I escaped academy was I have to do 110% in every single category and if I don't do that then no one's going to notice me but he's starting to understand what it looks like to allow others to play a role and to to not necessarily be like the only person dictating everything or micromanaging everyone just allowing people to think and not be robots, I think is a helpful thing to our Academy progress. I think that he has gotten a lot more comfortable pulling the trigger with our guys because they're willing to commit to the same things. And uh, in, in the current iteration of our Academy roster, it just seems like he's found a lot of comfort in the, you know, I hate to use the word synergy all the time, just the synergy <laughs> that's developed. It's just over playing with Tomo and, you know, playing with Kumo and, and just having two, two guys in our mid jungle that are willing to just fight everything. So. Sure. How how yeah. much do you think uh, stems from the familiarity with Tomo that they have going back to the the C nine Academy days? I rephrase that question for me. Sorry. So the, just the the comfort and and the improvement that Diamond has shown. Um, do you think some of that comes from having played with Tomo in the past and and having that built in familiarity with each other? Uh, to some degree, yes. Honestly, I would say that Diamond got him from point A to point like B, C, or D. Mm-hmm. And now that Tomo has taken himself from point D to whatever else you fall in the alphabet, now they, as a as a duo, can talk about more high-level things, can navigate and problem-solve more high-level things. And 
it makes them a little more formidable, I think, to be able to be, you know, on even footing rather than like, mm. um, I'm Diamond and I have to be this guy's teacher and I have to like babysit him through his learning. Now it feels like they kind of sharpen each other and they, they teach each other certain things and, you know, they might argue about how a certain play should have been done and here and there, but you need conflict on any good team. And I think they, they do a good job of balancing each other. Sure. Um, one other thing about the the academy team playing up in LCS is I'm curious which coaches are going to be going on stage with the team because obviously you've got Fantex who's been coaching them academy has that familiarity. Are you going to be still keeping that kind of LCS academy divide in the coaches or is he going to be going up on stage with them as well? No, for this week, we're actually allowing Paul and Richard to go up together. Alex is going to be working with the LCS guys as they take a step back and figure everything out. But um, this week, we're going to have Richard and, and, and Paul up there. So Kanani and Fantex. Yep. Okay, interesting. And then I'm, I'm sure you'll kind of iterate on that based on what you're doing the rest of the season because you do have these four weeks left in the regular season and, you know, see what happens after that, uh, both yep. on the LCS and Academy level. Um, is this, you know, well, I guess before we get into some of that, I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are and, and maybe briefly on kind of the performance of your coaching staff this year, given the struggles that you guys have had and, and trying to bring the team together to work together. Um, and, and the coaches that you brought in were, you know, experienced at lower levels of competition um, with Kanani and with Sharks and, and, and so on. Um, how have you felt about kind of what they've been learning, what they've been um, doing and in, in the performance that they've had as a coaching staff? I think, number one, culturally, it's very different to coach in Europe than it is to coach hmm. in North America. I think uh, I don't necessarily care if Americans hate me for saying this, but American sports culture is very entitled. I think like the rise of AAU and basketball, for example, and, and those subsections of, you know, institutionalizations, you see a lot of entitlement. You see a lot of uh, natural disrespect towards authority figures that you don't necessarily see in other regions, right? Culturally in Europe, culturally in Korea, China, um, there typically tends to be more blind trust or blind respect for coaches. And the way that that structures itself out in teams is like very apparent. I think in North America, typically the way I'd explain it is players want to know that what they're being fed is useful, right? Rather than just blindly trusting it. And that's a pro and a con in, in itself. I think like naturally when you're in regions like Europe, for example, at least from what Alex and, and Paul have told me, they tend to be more like player group oriented all these guys are willing to contribute to figuring out direction as a team and so as coaches you don't necessarily need to force them in a direction all the time obviously you're there to facilitate as much as possible and when you have you know boneheads or you have guys that have more strong personalities you do need to you know be able to set the sails right but in in north america i think not only do a lot of players not realize that they need a certain level of mentorship or leadership from their staff, they generally think that they don't and they want to kind of take direction into their own hands. And so when things are not going well and they've taken things into their own hands, then they're like, okay, well, where's our direction coming from? And from a coach perspective, that can get confusing sometimes. And I'm not saying, you know, in our situation, it's, it's one or the other. I think it's a mix of both. I think the players generally were somewhat outspoken in the beginning you know they they wanted to kind of take direction in their own hands figure that things out as a five the coaching staff i think wanted to give them that freedom give them that space and i think somewhere along the way we could have been more pushy as coaches and somewhere along the way we could have been 
you know, better with dealing with kind of the autonomy that I think players look for a lot in, in, in North America. So um, that's the best big picture view I can give of that. Sure. Um, and, and then I guess back to kind of where I had been starting to head before that, but, um, you know, just, just the way that you intend to use the rest of the season. So, um, you know, there's a certain amount of still trying to win enough games, uh, make the playoffs in, in LCS and, and, you know, aim for competitive success. But uh, how do you use the rest of the season to kind of build towards the future um, and, and kind of establish a, a good uh trajectory or a good set of insights for 2022 and beyond um what, what's kind of your mindset what are you looking at most closely i essentially i want to basically nitpick as much as we can of every player's individual process how they work how they study how they you know communicate with their teammates how they ask for the things that they need and that's going to be one factor to you know identifying what kind of core we bring into 2022 we already have some iterations we already have some ideas on how we'd like to strike you know when when free agency opens up and you know without going into that too much now tell tell us your whole off-season plans and yeah, really, insight, really you, interesting man. yeah <laughs> without without going into that too much i mean as a gm i just have to plan every single year course, right yeah without going into that as much i mean the focus of it right now is you know with our lcs guys i think there's still immense talent i think johnson has a ton of talent i think christian has a ton of talent i think jose diodo tons of talent you have to figure out what pieces can actually work together and the reason for us taking a step back for the LCS guys is seeing if we can uncover some of those things, right? Take it slower and, and see if we can do that. With the Academy guys, I want to know who's actually ready to take the leap. I think when you actually take them away from the Academy space and you put them in the LCS, who's going to be able to keep up or who has signs of showing that they can keep up? They might not be able to keep up this week. Who knows, right? That could be the speculation that a lot of people think. Or like, Are they going to be able to actually compete with LCS counterparts this weekend? My guess and my bet is yes. I think all of them can to some degree. Um, I want to see who's the most ready and whether those pieces can work with the other pieces that we have in mind and, and you know, between the Academy and the LCS guys, and we'll kind of move forward from there. So that's ultimately the goal. The iterations that you guys might see on stage is going to vary week to week. It might not. It really is going to depend on, you know, everything that goes into it, not just results, but also the process of practice that we see every single day and, we're just going to make those decisions when we come to them. Um, and that's, that's, that's really the, the focus for at least the next four weeks of the regular season where you're going to hopefully get into playoffs and have more Intel and then proving grounds is going to give us even more information. So. Sure. Um, one other kind of slightly tangential approach to some of this stuff is, you know, when, especially when you are approaching the rest of the season with the, you know, maybe mix and matching between LCS and Academy or keeping the LCS roster down if the Academy Academy roster is doing really well at LCS. When you have a player like Jose Diodo in the org who has prompted the Spanish language stream and been such a, you know, a fan draw and all that kind of stuff, how do you navigate that? Because you don't want it to influence your competitive decisions, but I'm sure it has to be in your mind like, hey, we're, we're building a brand around this guy to some extent. If we're not going to put him in LCS, like, <laughs> is that some are there conversations you have to have with with management above you on that kind of stuff or is do they just trust you just like hey we got to do what's best for the team competitively i would say there's no um that aside i think there's no real 
power struggle between how like let's say myself and let's say trisha works right there's motivations from all different departments in our company uh, but for myself and trisha our ceo we've been working together now on our like fifth year and we know what the other side needs and so mm. the communication that we have between each other we're not always going to agree on certain directions but the communication that we have we bring up the factors that are going to impact x y and z and we're really good about navigating those things together um, from a competitive aspect, I think we all understand that with where we're at right now, any kind of change would be good just to see what is valuable. We're obviously intentional about making the change. That's why I'd say, you know, any change can be valuable, but, but we, we decided to go in a certain direction. Um, I'm very careful to articulate those things with my staff, with business staff on the other side. And, um, I don't think we've hit any point where it's like, well, if you do this, this is going to, you know, drastically impact the other side of our business. And obviously we really want the Spanish coach team to do well. And we're empathetic to a lot of the, you know, fans that are from LATAM that are, you know, there to, you know, just root for Brandon. And, but, but the game and our team operations and all those things are bigger than just one person. And that's going to be my philosophy, no matter what. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm sure a lot of fans would just kind of think about and that would occur to them. Um, and it's one of the things that, you know, I think that that general approach of, hey, the financial, like if you want to really boil it down, the financial considerations are probably driving this choice or that choice. So they'll never do this because it would hurt them financially or whatever. And, and I feel there's there's a pretty vocal segment of the fan base that really overplays the potential for um, for kind of business decisions to override competitive decisions. I mean, you get it. <laughs> I'd say the most the most uh, common one is is people criticizing Cloud Nine, uh, uh, not caring about winning, and all they care about is boosting up players to sell them for big buyouts, and that they think the money is more important than winning. That kind of thing, uh, you know. And, and you get that kind of approach, that kind of perspective. Um, that I guarantee you, if you talk to any of the the managers around the league, um, they want to win, uh, and that's what that really is what matters. And trying to make choices that that lead toward that within the constraints that they're working within, right? So. Um, yeah, interesting to kind of hear your, your take on that. Um, so normally this point in the episode, we bring in some listener questions and, and people give people the chance to submit them on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Oracle's Elixir. Uh, you know, I think we, we weren't entirely sure if we were going to be able to get this episode out this week. So the listener questions is kind of thin. I do want to bring in one, which is a question from, um, a, a, a random kind of person in Twitch chat here, Night Fiend. Who, who wants to know all about your off-season plans. Uh, is there anything you can share with Night Fiend, whoever Night Fiend is? I will say that Andrew and I will have conversations, and that is, you know, that is... And Night, Night Fiend is the, the GM for EG, so, um, you know, he and I you will ruined, have our conversations. You ruined the joke, Nick. As we already do. I, well, I, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but he and I will have our conversations. We will have a beer between each other, and whatever happens in the off-season happens. Yeah, I've heard there's a, I've heard there's a, a, a young mid laner that he's probably very ready to part with, that you could. <laughs> well, this no, has jo- been great. Jojo's an incredible talent. We'll see what happens with him. Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll we'll wrap things up here. I think this has been really good, uh, and appreciate you uh, sharing your sharing your thoughts on this. And I'm sure the FlyQuest fans uh, appreciate it as well. And we'll be looking forward to uh, hopefully some some positive outcomes and some, some good learnings from the rest of your year. And, and, uh, they'll be very interested to see what happens, uh, in October, November, December. So, um, 
what is the the best way, Nick, for people to follow your work or what's going on with the team going forward? Honestly, more than following the, the Twitter tag that you see at the bottom there, uh, if you guys honestly just follow twitter.com slash FlyQuest and follow all of our channels, you'll get most of the information there. So outside of that, just catch us on stage and, you know, hope for the best. Great. We'll make sure some links for that for, for Nick's Twitter and the team Twitter and all of that are in the show notes, uh, especially for those uh, listening to the audio-only version here. Um, and thank you to everyone for listening. You can support the True Sight podcast at patreon.com slash oracleselixir. You can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. And check out the Oracle's Elixir Discord server to talk League of Legends esports, data science, uh, a lot of other topics as well. Uh, links for all of those will be in the show notes as well. This has been the True Sight Podcast, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.